Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So we are going to be going on a journey. My time already started. Oh, no, I ain't prayed yet. <laughs> I got to pray. She already prayed. But as we get ready to get in this and, and we're talking about changing our stories, only God can really change our stories, right? We can try to do a lot of things in our, in our own flesh, but it doesn't work. It's not lasting. But when God changes the thing, it's change what? Forever, right? When God delivers us, we're delivered forever. We don't have to go back into that thing. You understand what I'm saying? So as we get ready to get started, we, I'm just going to pray and ask God to help me to be with us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the presence of who you are. Jesus, we ask you to manifest yourself in this place today. Spirit of the living God, we ask you to come in and move among us. We ask you that you have reign in this place today, oh God. Father, we give you the glory. Father, we give you the honor. You are worthy of our praise, and we will be careful to give it to you. We ask you to open up the eyes of our understanding that we may see, Lord God, what you are doing, that we can see in the realms of the Spirit so that we can understand by the realms of the Spirit, Father God. I thank you right now for each woman under the sound of my voice, Lord God, that you are really doing a new thing in their lives, that you're propelling them to new vision and to new dreams and to new hopes and to new understanding. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. So what does changing your story look like, right? It's really about shifting a perspective. It's about questioning your interpretations of life events. It's about growth. God wants us to go what, from glory to glory to glory to glory. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. He wants us to always be growing and to always be developing. So if you're still here on earth, God still has a plan for you. So you should still be coming up to a higher new level of realms of understanding, of realms in the spirit, of, of whatever God wants to do in your life. I don't care if you're 60. I don't care if you're 70. I don't care if you're 80 or 90. If you're here, there's still purpose in you. And so if we're still here, then we should still be growing still learning and still changing. So I don't ever want us to get to a point where we feel like I've got it all. We've never gotten it all. I remember seeing a, a story. I'm going off topic already. I remember seeing a story and there was a man who was 107. He was saying he was still learning new things about the Bible. Still learning things about God. You can get to God and you think you've gotten so far and then he'll t you'll go around another bend and realize there's a whole nother revelation of expanse that you do not understand the depths of him. And so I think we have to realize we're always growing. We're going to be spending eternity with him, still not understanding all that God is. I want you to get the, the import of that. We're going to be spending all this time worshiping God. If you believe in Jesus, you want to go to heaven. And still, we will not even touch probably who, the depth of who he really is. So I don't want us to get this hate to say this, this pride or big head, oh, we've arrived and we're so holy and we've just got it all together. We ain't that special. We're not that together. <laughs> Amen. Let's just, at my church, we say we keep it here, which means we keep it real. Amen. So hopefully I can do that today. So everyone does have a story though, right? Our personal stories um, play a role in how we approach life situations. That's what we're going to be talking about mainly today. How we approach people in our own self-concept. Because you behave in a manner consistent with how you see yourself. So if you see yourself defeated, you'll let other people teach you that way because that's what you accept. Because you let people treat you how you feel about you. So our personal stories contain countless pieces of information. Round, some, some things are random and some things may seem insignificant, but some of those stories are full of meaning and full of significance. So although the facts of our history aren't able to be changed, you can't change the past, right? The way you react to them and weave them into your personal life does not have to stay that way. So don't let a moment of regret become a life of regret. 
You can change the narrative, right? So when I feel a need to, so when we feel need to make change in our lives, we can rewrite, revise our story with the Lord help. I would like to think of it this way. You can edit things out. You guys have a good program. You can just edit that out. You don't like that? Just edit it out. It's an opportunity to reinvent ourselves, to start over, to behave in different and new ways. Often our stories connect us to events from our past, positive chapters such as our childhood, um, success, our career trajectory, um, healthy relationships can impact our personal stories in inspiring and uplifting ways. If we had a positive experience, it can <laughs> uplift us, right? So these happy events can make us more kind and provide us with a more positive outlook, and sometimes they can improve your self-esteem. On the other hand, negative life events such as trauma, Addiction, illness, divorce, etc. you put your, your story in there, can impact our stories in a negative way. And often living us feel sometimes isolated and depressed or anxious. They affect how we deal with people and circumstances later on in our, in our lives. So challenging chapters, or painful chapters I should call them, in our lives can make it harder for us to rewrite our story. Why? Because we feel stuck to that thing. We feel powerless to make the necessary change. But I want to um, say this to you. You don't have to be incarcerated to your past. You don't have to be incarcerated to your past. Sometimes we, we, you know, God has set us free, but we are still locked up. So we're going to be discussing Isaiah. So let me get into what, what's happening Isaiah. Because we're picking up in chapter um, 43. However, there's just a few little details, and I'm kind of a, a nerd, so, and I like <laughs> just facts and history. Um, so historically, Isaiah is writing 100 years actually before the prophecy that he's prophesying is happening. So chapters 1 through 39, he is discussing with the, the children of Israel are going to go into captivity. They're going into captivity because they didn't honor God. They didn't obey and do what God said they do. They said, God, we will serve you. God, we will honor you. And they do like we do. So don't get so judgmental and think that we're so different. We are not any different. If we were in the garden, we would have ate the apple too. <laughs> you know, let's just be real. The capacity for human nature is to be selfish. And without... without um, freedom, we would know no boundaries. And so I think sometimes we get a little bit, why did God do that? He had to. There's no such thing as free will. It's not free will. <laughs> Man is not free if you're, if you're constantly in bondage, right? Um, some healing for you. If you have kids, Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. God was perfect. They were the per he was the perfect parent, and they still messed up. So if you got kids, I don't care how great you raised them. I don't care how wonderful you were. They still have their own free will, and they'll do what they want to do. Okay, so let's get back on the word of God. So he was telling them that they had a promise of hope in the future was being proclaimed. So what was he doing? God was restoring them back to the original place that he had for them. So his original intention. I think sometimes we get what I like to, I'm going to call it this, we get infected in our soul. God had an intention for us, but because of life and things happening in our lives, we get off course. And we actually get wounded in our soul and we take on personalities and personality traits that weren't innate to what God wanted for us. And I think when we become Christian, God starts trying to restore back that original intention that he had for us, right? So he's restoring them back. And so he's also restoring them to be a light to the nations because God's light's in them. So let us read. We're going to read all of it because I can't just pick up in the middle. 
if you're properly exegesing scripture, you're going to go from the beginning to the end. Yes, I know we like to take our little favorite verses, but sometimes when you read things in context, it may have a different light on it. So we're going to try to read this in context because we're going to be good students of the word, right? Be good Bereans. Always check it out. You don't, don't check the word. If someone can't be challenged, they need to get out the pulpit, right? Yeah. Amen. So Isaiah 43, 1. <laughs> but now, old Jacob, listen to the Lord. Who created you? O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid. I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You were mine. When you go through deep waters, when, not if, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You honored me and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. You got to get a word? God's with you. He's never left you. He's always been there. I will gather you and your children from the east and the west. And I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations, assemble the people of the world, which of their idols has foretold such things, which can predict what will happen tomorrow. Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But I am, but you are my witness, O Israel. So what is God saying? I said prophetically this will happen, and it happened. That's what he's basically saying. Says the Lord, you are my servant. I've chosen, you've been chosen to know me and believe in me and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There has never been and there will never be. And I, yes, am the Lord and there is no other savior. I first predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are my witnesses that I'm the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send the army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in the ships that they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your God, your Holy One. Israel creator and king. God is going over and over what, telling him who he is and what he's done. And if you think back over your life, you remember who he is and what he's done. Because it's so easy to forget, right? I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making dry path through the sea. I called forth the, army, the mighty army of Egypt with all the chariots and horses, and I, drew, drew, and I drew them beneath the waves, and I drowned them, and their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlestick. Wow. But forget all this. It's nothing compared to what I'm about to do. That's the word right there. Forget all of this. God said all that great stuff is great. Wonderful. But then he tells you to forget it. Because there's nothing going to be compared to what he's getting ready to do in your lives, right? So this is our scripture. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in deserts. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Boy, do we need a word like that today. We have been in a wilderness, so to speak, spiritually in this world during this season of 
of, I guess, COVID, the pandemic. And God is now beginning to create rivers in these dry places. So the first thing he tells them is forget all that, right? So my first point is, if we're going to walk into God changing our story, the first thing we have to do is stop looking behind. Stop looking behind. Don't expect past victories to sustain you. Don't allow past failures to paralyze you. And don't be anchored to your past. So stop looking behind. To take the anchor up and say, God, we're going to ride. Well, let's go on a new ride together. I'm not so stuck in who I was and what I do that I can't move on to a new season. Because when God says it's over, it's over. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that it was bad. It doesn't mean that you have to um, align, you know, that, that season because it got you to the place where you are now. Thank God for it. I think we forget that. Thank God for a negative season. Guess what? Because it got you to a better one. You learned some lessons in that season. God doesn't waste any experience. So if you went through it, it's to get you to somewhere else. So thank God for it. But you don't look back to it and you don't anchor yourself to it, but you thank God for it. Living in regret is no life at all. You shoulda, coulda, woulda, that's all they are. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, all you can do is do better and move on, right? Philippians 3.13 tells us, I, depend, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation for reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. I'm looking forward. Yes, I accept that that was the past, and I let it go, and I keep on going on to whatever God has for me next, right? The second thing he tells them is to what? Start looking ahead. See, God is bringing a newness. My second point is anticipate God to do something great. I think we've lost the art of anticipation. I remember being a Christian in the, um, I would say, late 80s, early 90s. And we would anticipate coming to church and being a part of intercessory prayer. We would anticipate the moves of the Spirit. We would anticipate. I remember during that season praying four and five hours in the Holy Spirit. We've lost a lot of that. We've lost that anticipation of what God would do. That anticipation needs to come back to the house of God and into your life. You need to start looking for God to do something again. You know, start looking for God to do something. I really believe that God's doing something. I think we just miss the opportunities because we're not aware. We're so caught up with what we see and how we feel that we've forgotten that God is moving. If you're a Christian, he says he lives on the inside of you. So if he's there, he's present. But I don't think we activate him enough. Amen? Proverbs 23 says this, Above all, guard your heart, for, out of, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. How are you going to anticipate? You're going to start talking differently. You're going to start guarding your heart. You're not going to watch everything. You ain't going to say everything. You're not going to see everything. I'm getting off track. I cannot believe how many Christians, the stuff I see on Facebook and, and Twitter and all this stuff that they post. My gosh. Gossip is gossip. I don't care if you're typing it or not. 
Okay, let your eyes look straight ahead. <laughs> Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. We have to have that focus. I'm in step with God. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But we're going to have to keep that focus of where God goes, I go. The only place I need to be is where I need, where he wants me to be. Any other, other place was going to get us in a, in a, not in a detrimental place. We're, we're going to be in trouble, right? Number three, he tells him, I need you to see with new eyes. If you don't have the right perspective, you will not have the proper response. And you can, or you can misinterpret what you see. Because he goes into this, do you not see it? He asked them a question. He said, I'm about to do a new thing, but do you not see? Which means you, God can do something new and you not even know it. I watched this happen in the church. Everyone was, oh, COVID, this is just so horrible. And I was like, this is the best thing that ever happened. Depends on which eyes lens you saw it. I saw God shifting and sifting and cleaning his house. I thought it was an awesome thing for the church's perspective. Everything that was dead, everything that needed to go, burnt up. Everything that did not make it is gone. What ground was it built on? I don't know. That's between them and God. But all I can tell you is I saw it as a wonderful time for the church. Everyone's crying. Church is not like it used to be. Good. It wasn't working. People weren't getting healed, set free, and delivered. People were walking out of church with the same issues they had when they came into church. People were coming to the altar and not being altered. What purpose are they coming to church? We don't need a social club. We need the power and the presence of God to manifest himself in a place so that people's lives can be really changed. So why are we doing church? I ain't going to church, playing church, going to hell. I'm not doing that, God. I want to, I want to come to church. I want God to be there. You understand what I'm saying? I get, I get excited, so I'm sorry. Okay, so he says, do you not seeing? Mark 8, 18 says, having eyes, to, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So this is a story in um, Matthew 18. I've got, I've got to set up the story. So Jesus is with the disciples, and he's talking about bread. <laughs> and they were like, we didn't bring any bread. They're going through this discussion. God's like, y'all are not getting the point. <laughs> Okay, so that's the whole point, the setting up. So we're going to pick up the story because he comes up, I'm just going to tell the story. He comes up to um, a blind man and God does this illustrated sermon where he puts his eyes on the guy's eye, on his, on his, on, he puts his, he actually spits on the ground, which is pretty disgusting. He spits on the ground. I know you read the Bible and it sounds so, but if you ever seen, you guys seen Mark, Mike Todd's thing, it was disgusting. It's like when you thought about it, it's like, that was really quite disgusting. Did you guys see that? I don't know if everybody saw that. It was like a, a big tweet. He spit on, he actually, it was his brother. He literally spit, like spit, like spit, spit, thick spit, and wiped it on his brother's face. And everybody, you know, everybody was just mortified. I mean, it went viral. Um, but, it, but his whole point was, whether you grieve that was too much or not, I'm not here to say that. It was we look at some of the things in the Bible as if, you know, he spit on the ground as if I spit and put my hands on your face, you probably would punch me out right now. You understand me? That's foul. That's disgusting. When you think about it, someone spit is the nastiest thing. But Jesus does this, and I, you know, we, we read him. So anyway, he spit on the ground. <laughs> on his eyes, he put his hands on me, asked if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. So we talk about this illustrated sermon. When Jesus heals a blind man, he says, do you see anything? The man replied, I see trees. 
He could see, but he was still confused. Jesus touched his eyes again, and then he sees clearly. So he did not only have sight, but he also had insight to make sense of what he saw, right? So it's not enough to see, he had to in-see. So see in the Greek is, the Greek word is B-L-E-P-O. It means to look at, to see, or to have sight. But when he saw, it is E-N-N-B-L-P-E-N, and it means to look on, to observe, to discern clearly, to gaze upon. So seeing without insight is is seeing without understanding, And God wants us to see with understanding. It's seeing without discerning the the significance of what you're seeing, and that's not really seeing at all. This can apply to spiritual truths. They're not always perceived clearly at first. That's why we have to go to God. Okay, God, what's going on in this season? Help me to see this from your realm, from your perspective. Sometimes we have to come up. See, God comes up high. When you get up high, you have a different vantage point of how you're looking at things. An aerial view, when I was flying over the plane, looking at a city over air blue, everything looks kind of organized little boxes. But when you're in the city, it can be like, oh, these streets are wine, whatever. But once you get up higher, you have a different perspective. The same thing. In the spirit realm, we have to come up higher where God is and see it from his perspective so we can see the way he sees, right? So number four, you have to shift in your perspective. Stay in step with the spirit and get the spirit of insight. So what is this new God, this new thing God wants to do in your life? God who led you out of slavery and sin. He saved you from death. Being delivered from slavery and sin is not a destination, though. It's a starting point. God has something better and different for you. But it's going to require you to keep moving forward, even though it's dangerous. He says, through the wilderness. Well, if you, if you look at the, 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 the topography, I think I'm saying it right, of, that, of, of where they were, they had to walk through this wilderness area, and it was treacherous, Right? So he's telling them that even though it's dangerous, even though it's hostile, even though it's inhospitable, (laughs) he's going to make a path through that part. So even in our worst places, God can still make a path for us. He says, I'm making a path in the wilderness, and I'm refreshing you with streams of living water in the desert as you walk in obedience with me. You are constantly walking away from what was, and you're walking toward what will be. I think people forget, you just keep on moving. Guess what? Eventually, that, that, that thing is way back over there. I said about sin. People are like, don't, don't try. I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to stop sinning. Don't, don't walk by sin. Just start walking in righteousness. That's what the Bible says. It says, you, you, you know, people are always trying to take off, but the Bible says put on. You can spend your life trying to take off, take off, take off. Girl, if you put on something different, it'll be, you'll be in something different. You put on, and keep on walking. Once you, you look back, and it's been 10, 15 years, and that, it's in your past. It's gone, Right? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Remember, he says, look at Jesus, he, he, he said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured, right? Suffering is not a bad thing. I know we, you know, in the church, and I, I know God wants to bless us, he does, but Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered, yeah. not just the blessing, There's some things that have to condition us and press us to get out what's inside of us. So we need to be comfortable with uncomfortability and be okay because guess what? That's when God is molding us. I mean, have you guys ever seen clay? They take the clay and they beat the clay and they move the clay and they shove the clay to make it moldable, to make it pliable. I'm sure sometimes that is not comfortable. It doesn't feel good, right? 
But God is working on us and he's molding us and he's making us and he's turning us and he's spinning us. And, but when we come out and then you get through some fire, you're usable for use, right? You're fit for the master. You, something can be poured in you so something can be poured out. That exhilarated his faith with God. He put up with anything along the way cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So the question is this. Number one, how can I look at things differently to see and perceive the newness God wants to bring in my life? Start asking yourself. I'm start, start asking, God, how can I start looking differently? God, give me eyes to see in the spirit realm what you are doing right now in this season of my life. Then you got to get some truth. That's the word of God. How can I declare God's help and help my heart trust in something new? Get you some word. Get you a scripture to stand upon. You got to find some word. When you're going through a dark season, a wilderness season, a changing season, you've got to have a word that's going to keep you to the end. What did Jesus have? Jesus had, well done, that good and faithful servant. He knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer. He kept that before him. In Gethsemane, is there any other way? This cup can't pass from you. There's some things in our lives that cups can't pass. I know that's not a happy message, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're going to have to drink some cups. I'm just here. I'm, I'm keeping it real, right? But we're going to be better for it because why Jesus was glorified. So you want all that. It takes all that. We want the anointing. We want the greatness of God, but it takes all that. Right? It takes difficulty sometimes. It takes all of that to make us and to mold us so that we're fit for the master's use. So what new thing does God want to do in my life this year? I know it's in the middle of the year. But start asking God, what is it that, I, that you want me to do new? And then we're going to begin to pray. I believe that whoever it is, whatever you have not been able to see clearly, you've been walking around and you said, God, I just can't see what you're doing. I can't see what my next decision is. I can't see what the next choice is. God says you will know today. So I want you guys to be standing. Can you find me some...